history of the bands. Welcome, welcome, welcome to History of the Bands. I am your host, the human Google machine, Brandon Withers. How is everybody? How's it doing's goods? Well, not really, as this is the season finale. I know. Aww. Well, actually, I'm alright, because I already got plans for Season 3, and already been working on Season 3. So, like I said, this is Season Finale. I'm going to take a break after this for a little while, then I'll come back with a huge juggernaut of an episode. So, let's jump into this one. On this episode, I'll be discussing the new metal band named Korn. Formed in Bakersfield, California in 1993, Korn has sold more than 40 million records worldwide. Twelve of these albums have peaked in the top ten of the billboards, eight of which have peaked in the top five. They have numerous platinum albums. Korn has won two Grammy Awards out of the eight nominations and two MTV Video Music Awards out of the 11 nominations so let's jump right into this class is in session as always let's start off with the members first the lead guitarist monkey born james christian schaefer on june 6 1970 in rosedale california he was adopted by his parents as an infant along with his two other siblings. Monkey and the other members of Korn grew up in a agriculture town of Bakersfield, California, two hours north of LA. When trying to sneak out to a party, you know, going out to have a little bit of fun, when you shouldn't have, <laughs> the tip of his fingers was severed by the chain of his three-wheeler. And as part of his rehab, Monkey picked up a guitar which that is just horrible all of a sudden you grab a chain and next thing you know you lose your fingertips kind of like you know weird Ugh. I don't know that's nasty anyway during high school monkey met fellow guitarist Brian Head Welsh and the two would often jam together so since we spoke about Head let's talk about him Head was born Brian Philip Welsh on June 19, 1970, and was raised in Bakersfield, California. He was different from most kids and was bullied in school. He liked music and he was a big Ozzy Osbourne fan. Originally, Head expressed interest in playing the drums, but his father convinced him to play the guitar so he would not have to haul a drum kit around. Which I can understand. It's just there's a lot of equipment there. He began playing the guitar at the age of 10. How he got the nickname Head was because guys said his head looked like it was too big for his body, so they started calling him Head. Now let's talk about the basis 
Fieldy, born, and I might screw this up here. He was born Reginald Quincy Alvarezu. Alvarezu. Let's just say Reginald Quincy A. <laughs> anyway, he was born on November 2nd, 1969. Now, I really can't find out much about Fieldy. What I did find out is he began drinking at a very early age. He said he started when he was five years old. His parents knew about it and was drinking themselves. His family would drink and then plates would get thrown and broken every night till his parents divorce. So let's move on to the drummer Ray, born Raymond Lee Loser. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. It might be Luzer. It's L-U-Z-I-E-R. So he's Raymond L. Let's just go with that. Or we can just call him Ray. <laughs> You know, he was born on June 14th, 1970 in West Newton, Pennsylvania, a small town about an hour and a half outside of Pittsburgh on a 118-acre farm. He began playing drums at the age of five and participated in a high school jazz concert and marching band. So we have an awesome band geek here. Like Band geeks are the best, in my opinion. They have the most humorous ways of doing things i might be a little biased though because my son is also one of those <laughs> anyway after graduating in 1988 ray moved to hollywood california to pursue an education and he graduated in 1989 with a degree from mi's percussion institute of technology ray later returned as an instructor at music institute which is mi from 1992 through 2001, where he taught rock-style drumming classes and gave private lessons. Ray is well known for his work with David Lee Roth, for whom he played drums from 1997 to 2005. He became the drummer for Steel Panther shortly after the band formed in 1997. He remained with Steel Panther for six years until his DLR touring schedule interfered is David Lee Roth if you didn't know. He also did a few more groups before joining Korn. And finally, the singer Jonathan Davis, born January 18, 1971 in Bakersfield, California. His parents are Molly Marie Chavez and Ricky Dwayne Davis. His parents married on February 27, 1970. He is of English, German, Scottish, and Welsh descent. He has a sister named Alyssa Marie Davis, as well as a half-brother named Mark Chavez, and a half-sister named Amanda Chavez. His father was a keyboardist for Buck Owens and Frank Zappa. That's actually interesting. While his mother was a professional actress and dancer, his parents divorced when he was only three years old, he lived with his mother at first, but after experiencing bad situations at home, he moved in with and was raised by his father and his stepmother in Bakersfield, but was made to feel like he came in and ruined their perfect little family. Jonathan suffered from asthma as a child. Asthma also forced him to stay in the hospital every month from the ages of 3 to 10 and he survived a critical asthma attack when he was five years old. He attended Highland High School 
but he was persistently harassed for wearing eyeliner, baggy clothes, and listening to new wave music. He was constantly called homophobic names, which later inspired a corn song. Uh, we will mention that later. Jonathan's HIV tattoo on his upper left arm was also inspired by his experience being bullied. At the age of 16, Jonathan got a job as a coroner's assistant, and after graduating high school, he immediately enrolled in San Francisco's college one-year program to become a coroner. He enjoyed his time in San Francisco, where he spent his days, you know, going over and bombing textbooks and his night living and worked at a funeral home. I mean, so he, you know, he would study how to do it, go to school, and then he would stay up all night and work at the funeral home. But he dropped out after two semesters to apprentice in the Kern County Coroner's Department. He was also a professional embalmer for a funeral home. He did not get along with his stepmother and has accused her of harassing him and doing things like giving him tea mixed with like hot oil or jalapeno juice to drink when he was sick. He also mentioned that she mixed Tabasco in his tea, which is totally horrible. You know, like dude's sick and you're sitting here trying to like make it worse for your enjoyment. It's very cruel. But to make it even worse and more weird, he had sexual fantasies about his stepmother, even though she's rude to him, dreaming of doing the deed and killing her afterwards. So, I mean, he was really going off his rocker during this time. So it's really messed up thoughts here. So Jonathan has also said a female family friend sexually abused him. And when he tried to turn to his family as a child, to tell them about the abuse, they shrugged it off and did not believe him. So he had such a terrible childhood. Uh, very bad, a lot of messed up situations here. The only past member is David Silvria. So let's jump right into this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey everyone, have you ever felt just down and out, depressed, like you need somebody? I've been there before. And when I was like that, I wish I knew about BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and is 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel like doing it. You can do it via text message, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever is convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from an in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. 
more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash history of the bands. That is better H E L P dot com slash history of the bands. So remember when I said that the members grew up in Bakersfield? Well, before Corn was formed, three of the original members were in a band called LAPD. The members were Monkey, Fieldy, and David. When the band moved from Bakersfield to LA, David dropped out of high school and Monkey stayed in Bakersfield. When Monkey reunited with the band, they found a manager and released an EP entitled Love and Peace Dude in 1989 through Triple X Records. LAPD released their first full-length studio album on May 3, 1991. The album was called Who's Laughing Now? After releasing two albums, LAPD broke up. Then the group was known as Creep, recording a demo with a singer named Corey until Monkey, Fieldy, and David hooked up with Head and Jonathan to form Corn. When thinking of a band name, someone suggested Corn, like C-O-R-N. But the band rejected that name, so Monkey came up with an idea. He said to spell it with a K instead of a C and a backwards R. So the band's name would appear as what you see now. The idea of using a backwards R came from Toys R Us, which most of the guys had worked there. The logo was designed by Jonathan. Korn rented a studio in Huntington Beach, California. So check this. While they were recording, a crowd had began hanging around outside the studio. The band began playing like prelude to what would become a future song called Clown. Then a larger crowd gathered around. It was said that the crowd gathered because it sounded so different from what everything else was. Korn started doing shows in the summer of 1993. So while they was in Huntington Beach, the band got noticed by Immortal Records A&R employee Paul Pontius. I wonder if he's related to Chris Pontius. <laughs> Chris Pontius. <laughs> uh, if you don't know who Chris Pontius is, uh, bless your heart. Anyways, Pontius would describe Korn's sound as a new genre of rock. Right after that, Korn released their first demo album called Neermayer's Mind. The demo was very limited and was not well received by critics or the public. It was released to record companies and people who handed out flyers. With this demo, Korn pioneered the new metal sound, riffs, and rhythm. Immortal Records ended up signing the band, and by May of 1994, Korn began recording their debut album. So the debut album is self-titled and released on October 11th, 1994 by Immortal and produced by Ross Robinson. Korn recorded most of the album with all the guys playing simultaneously as to recording instruments separately. They recorded at Indigo Ranch and it was located on a hill rather than in a city allowing them to record outside resulting in the distinctive sound and quality of music given off by their instruments. 
Since Robinson produced the album, his career was launched by its success and as it taught Robinson how to produce. The track list is Blind, Ball Tongue, Need To, Clown, Divide. Um, this one's a little bad. This one's a bad word, so I'm going to say forget, but we're going to drop the four and put FA in front of it. Shoots and Ladders, Predictable, Fake, Lies, Helmet in the Bush, and Daddy for a total length of 65 minutes and 45 seconds. The album was a big success out of the gate and it reached number 72 on the billboards by 1996 and went two times platinum, so double platinum. But that's jumping ahead a little bit. When it was released, critics seemed to enjoy the funk metal style and love Jonathan's vocals. Due to this album, we now have new metal. Korn established new metal and people was loving it. The band hit the road and started to build their name. They toured with Biohazard, House of Pain for the first half, and on the second half, they was chosen to tour with Deftones and Ozzy Osbourne. So, some good exposure. So that was a successful debut, so they went back to the studio in April of 1996 to do a second album and keep that success rolling. So the second album is Life is Peachy, released October 15, 1996 by Immortal and produced by Robinson again. So check this, at this point Korn had difficulty putting themselves into the future because they had spent their last few years on drugs and alcohol, being only sober when performing. As they had begun writing new songs, they were in a serious state of disarray, but would not stop their partying habits. Korn entered pre-production and wrote the first songs of the album at their rehearsal space. David said somebody will start playing something and the rest of the band will work around it and see where it goes. It was there where they developed a approach to songwriting and the elements that had previously established them, such as Jonathan when he was freaking out while working on the album, they consumed a lot of alcohol beverages and were often so high that most nights one of the guys passed out, especially Head. Korn's sessions were often interrupted due to their lifestyle, and Robinson struggled to get them to stop drinking and focus on songwriting and rehearsing. The band mixed alcohol and drugs and also fought frequently. Jonathan recalled engaging in aggressive behaviors towards the bandmates, often biting them due to alcohol abuse. The track list is Twist, Chi, Lost, Swallow, Porno Creep, Good God, Mr. Rogers, uh, I don't even know this one, it's K and a whole bunch of symbols. <laughs> it might say a dirty word. What do you guys think? <laughs> Anyway, No Place to Hide, Wicked, which is an Ice Cube cover, Adidas, Lowrider, which is a cover of War, um, Last Itch, but drop the L off that, and Kill You, for a total length of 48 minutes and 14 seconds. The album peaked at number 3 on the billboards and went double platinum. This album was regarded as one of the big jump starts of new metal and was adored by millions. But it did get mixed reviews. Some critics loved the sound and others said you can't understand anything. 
and it was very noisy. But the album was successful. It won an award for Best Album by Corrine, as well as getting a Grammy nomination. Korn gained more popularity after co-headlining the Lollapalooza Summer Tour in 1997 with Tool. But Korn was forced to stop touring after Monkey was diagnosed with meningitis. The band kind of stayed quiet for the end of the year. The band founded their own label, Elementary Record, to sign and introduce new bands to their fans. Which is an awesome thing to do. The label was run by Jonathan, who first signed Orgy. That's a really weird name. Also during this time, there was a little bit of a controversy. Gretchen Plews of Zeeland, Michigan High School assistant, principal, said in an interview for the newspaper that Korn's music is indecent, vulgar, obscene, and intends to be insulting. After giving a student named Eric Van Hooven a one-day suspension for wearing a shirt with the Korn's logo on it, then there was a video of people giving away hundreds of Korn t-shirts which were donated by the band outside of the school. That's like a really way to stick it to the man. Ottawa's county policemen also helped hand out shirts. Korn filed a cease and desist order against Plews and the school district for their comments. They also threatened a multi-million dollar lawsuit, but both actions were dropped due to the band members' personal lives. I also noticed from 1993 to 1997, the band was wearing Adidas clothing brands. Just a random observation. But apparently it was a way for the band to get signed by Adidas. While Korn was waiting for a full partnership with Adidas, the brand refused to sign a contract with Korn. Adidas told them, we do sports, not music. But in 1998, Puma seized the opportunity and offered a $500,000 deal to Korn including their music featured in advertisements. Korn accepted the deal and Jonathan said, that's more than Adidas ever offered us. It wasn't a selling out thing, it was about respect. So what I don't understand is Adidas sponsored Run DMC. I reckon they had stepped away from music during this time. Adidas is my favorite brand. I wear Adidas almost every day. So I will not hate on them at all. They're, they're, they're still awesome to me. Well, anyways, now we come to their third album called Follow the Leader, released on August 18, 1998 by Immortal and produced by Steve Thompson and Toby Wright instead of Robinson. So by early 1998, Korn returned to the studio to record Follow the Leader. Even though Korn loved the work Robinson had done on their previous albums, they decided to work with Steve Thompson and Toby Wright. But Robinson did work with Jonathan as a vocal coach for this album. Toby said Robinson went to extreme lengths to agitate Jonathan in the vocal booth, including punching him in the back repeatedly, which is like totally wild. And what the heck, man? Dude's over here singing and gets punched in the back and he's like, ah! <laughs> Anyway, Korn implemented a live streaming department on their website in March of 1998 called Korn TV, which aired the After School Special Series, so fans could access it every Thursday from 7.30pm to 8.30pm Eastern Time. 
Corn's after-school special featured guest appearances such as Sugar Ray, Limp Bizkit, Deftones, Steve Vai, and 311. The band was shown making the record on Corn TV. Follow the Leader featured numerous guest vocalists including Ice Cube, Trey Hardson, and Fred Durst. The track list is It's On, Freak on a Leash, Got the Life, Dead Bodies Everywhere, Children of the Corn, which had Ice Cube in it, BBK, Pretty, All in the Family, which featured Fred Durst, Reclaim My Place, Justin, Seed, Kimmel Tolson, which featured Trey Hartson, and My Gift to You, that had a hidden track in it, and the hidden track was Earache My Eye from Cheech and Chung, which is a good cover there, for a total length of 70 minutes and 8 seconds. The album peaked at number one on four charts, including the Billboard 200s, which is the one I usually look at. The album went five times platinum as well. The album was loved by so many, a lot of good reviews. The album has been on seven different best lists in 1998. The album was considered as a complete success by the band, debuting at number one with at least 200 68,000 copies sold in the first week of its release. Two of the singles, Got the Life and Freak on a Leash, became some of the band's biggest hits. They both exposed Korn to a wider mainstream audience with the music videos being mainstays on MTV. In September of 1998, Korn signed with a second music publisher, Zumba Music Group. Also, Freak on a Leash won a Grammy for Best Music Video, Short Form, and received a nomination for Best Hard Rock Performance. The video also earned nine MTV Video Music Award nominations for Video of the Year, Best Rock Video, Breakthrough Video, Best Direction, Best Special Effects, Best Art Creation, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, and Viewer's Choice. Now that was a mouthful right there. <laughs> It eventually won two awards for Best Rock Video and Best Editing. In the fall of 1998, Korn started the Family Values Tour. According to Fieldy, the tour name was due to so many of their friends were like family, and it was like they were all in the band together. The Family Values Tour featured a steel cage to the rear of the stage called the Corn Cage and was holding radio contest winners in them. The tour started on September 22, 1998, ending on October 31, 1998. The tour grossed $6.5 million, with an average of $240,000 per show, and an average attendance per show was 9000 which is wildly insane. Korn maintained a generally low ticket price, usually no more than $30. Korn toured with the band Limp Bizkit, as well as Ice Cube, Orgy, Incubus, and Ramstein. The tour was considered to be a major success. However, unlike all their other tours, they opt to not play in Europe for this cycle. The album was also promoted Concrete Marketing's Concrete Corner program with Jim Rose as the pitchman. That is a mouthful. Concrete marketing spark. Concrete corner. That's too much stuff there, man. To continue promoting Follow the Leader, Korn launched a co-headlining U.S. tour with Rob Zombie 
and Videodrome as the opening act that began on February 26, 1999 through mid-April. The tour was named Rock is Dead. In addition, a larger corn cage was included on stage and the tour featured Jonathan beginning to wear a kilt in live performances. And if you don't know what a kilt is, that is a Scottish thing, an Irish type thing, you know, mostly Scottish, I think. But, you know, they wore kilts. <laughs> Just look it up. Corn and Zombies Rock is Dead tour was a commercial and critical success. So after all the success, the band went back to the studio to make their fourth album called Issues, released November 16th. 1999 by Immortal and produced by Brendan O'Brien, who was the producer of some of Pearl Jam's albums, if you remember me talking about Pearl Jam. During one of the band's recording sessions, a journalist asked David about the new work, and he said it was more simple and heavier. Also at this time, the band attempted to start an online chain email by posting the letter online and asking fans to email the letter to 10 other people and to sign the I downloaded the corn single for free. For each person who signed, corn donated 25 cents to the charities Child Help USA and Children of the Night to raise over $250,000. The album featured Four different covers, each designed by Corn fans as part of the MTV contest. The winning cover, submitted in a pizza box, was designed by Alfredo Carlos. There was also a fifth cover selected for the limited tour edition of the album. The track list is Dead, Falling Away From Me, Trash, For You, Beg for me, make me bad, it's gonna go away, wake up, am I going crazy, hey daddy, somebody, someone, no way, let's get this party started, wish you could be mine, counting, and dirty, for a total length of 53 minutes and 16 seconds. The album peaked at number one on the billboards and went three times platinum. To celebrate the album's release, the band performed the album in its entirety in front of a live audience at New York's historical Apollo Theater and broadcast the concert across so many different radio stations. This performance marked the first performance by a rock band since Buddy Holly in the late 1950s. This special event featured the New York Police Department marching drums and bagpipe band conducted by Richard Gibbs. The album was also promoted by the band's highly successful Sick and Twisted tour. A little before Korn's album Issues was released, the band appeared on an episode of South Park titled Korn's Groovy Pirate Ghost Mystery. <laughs> it's a very interesting title. I'd like to see this now in which the first single from Issues, Falling Away From Me, was premiered. In 2001, the brand Pony reappeared on the clothing industry and initiated a partnership with Korn. 
Well, speaking of 2001, Korn started writing their next album in early 2001. But there was tension between band members here, and uh, in an effort to lessen the tensions and distractions, they continued writing in Scottsdale, Arizona, in hopes that the new landscape would inspire them in writing songs. They finished writing the album, then went back to Los Angeles, California to begin recording. Unfortunately, hostility between band members was still there. Also, during the tour, band members began to consider firing Fieldy due to his drug abuse problems, but decided against it. So the fifth album is Untouchables, and it was released June 11, 2002 by Immortal Records and produced by Michael Bennyhorn which I have also mentioned before. It is the first album recorded in 96 KHZ Digital Sound, which is speaking gibberish to me. <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. You guys can probably tell me. Yeah, tell me, guys. Come on, tell me right now. Let's do it. <laughs> the band revealed that the total recording cost for Untouchables was an estimate of $3 million due to the recording and living expenses and keeping their 15-person crew on retainer for the nearly two years it took to finish the album. As part of the total cost were included five houses rented for $10,000 apiece for four months when they moved to Phoenix. When they came to Los Angeles, they rented five houses for $10,000 apiece for four more months, and a house rented for $8,000 a week when they went to Canada, which is outrageous. Like, just stay in the same place. Like, like I would be, like, I know we are struggling with tension, but we are bunking to save money. You know, like, hey, everybody, we can have our own rooms. So when we're mad at each other, we'll go to our own room. We don't need a whole nother house to get away from you. <laughs> That's like a lot of money they spent. But anyway, the track list is Here to Stay, Make Believe, Blame, Hollow Life, Bottled Up Inside, Thoughtless, Hating, One More Time, Alone I Break, Embrace, Beat It Upright, Wake Up Hate, I'm Hiding, and no one's there with a hidden track called Here to Stay. For a total length of 65 minutes, the album sold 434,000 copies in the first week, but it did not surpass the sales from the Eminem show by Eminem and came in number two on the billboards. The album did go platinum. Jonathan blamed internet piracy for the drop in sales compared to the previous albums. The album was re-released on November 12, 2002 as a last-ditched effort to rejuvenate album sales, which had fallen short after the album's first week on the billboards. The album did get positive reviews and it remained there most critically acclaimed album for 17 years until the release of their 2019 album, The Nothing. The album had an experimental sound that Korn never previously attempted. All music critics said, The band is far more experimental this time out, delivering helmet-like ringing guitars 
that melt and morph into each other. A mix of Metallica blast beats and tight funk drumming from a constantly improving David. And memorable riffs that take the shape of dark sound structures and offer more than just a collection of chords. Now that was a mouthful. The song Here to Stay earned Korn a Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance. The tour was short and they went back to the studios in a hurry. Now they went to Jonathan's home studio in LA to record this album. So the sixth album is Take a Look in the Mirror, released November 21st, 2003 by Immortal and Epic Records and produced by Jonathan and Frank Felipe. Felipe T. I can't even say it. It's Felipe T. Filippetti. Ooh, I just said it, I think. His name is Frank Filippetti. He's a little bit petty. <laughs> anyway, this album was an attempt to return to more of that aggressive sound like they had in their earlier albums. The album featured strong elements of new metal and has the aggressive sound featured on their earlier work, as well as a reworked and re-recorded version of the track Alive, which was only released on the band's first demo, Nina Meyer's Mind. Also, there is a song on this album that featured rapper Nas, making this the first Korn album since Follow the Leader to feature a collaboration. Jonathan plays bagpipes on this album, making its return since it was not on their album Untouchables. Around this period, Head was heavily addicted to drugs. He said, and I quote, 2003 is when I started using speed every day. I also got hooked on meth, and in order to get up and function, even play a show, I had to snort lines, you know? And I told myself, I'll do this tour, I'll do this Ozfest, and I'll do meth the whole time, and I'll go home and check into rehab. And it scared me, you know, because I was like coming every month, I would tell myself, I'm going to stop this tour, and I wouldn't be able to do it. Like a fear would come over me. I was just trapped, unquote. That is a scary thought. Just put yourself in his shoes. The walk that he has made in his life. So meth is something that everyone should stay away from. Uh, it's it's just a horrible drug. I mean, it messes up your teeth and everything. But uh, I feel really bad for her head in this situation. But I like the ultimate goal head reaches here. Jonathan said this album is about them as a band taking a look in the mirror and remembering where they came from, remembering their roots and going back to the basics. Jonathan said, and I quote, we reflect and look back why we really got into this band to begin with and why we started it is to make aggressive heavy metal. Over the years, we were just experimenting. It always was corn, but it was different spins on what we were doing. So this time, we wanted to make an aggressive, heavy album and just kill it. And that's why we produced it ourselves. Nobody knows corn better than ourselves. Unquote. Jonathan also stated that he felt a return to basic new metal 
was needed in the music industry in 2003. He said that nothing that was coming out at that time was striking him at all. The whole rock and pop punk scene is just stagnant and boring. Music is not imaginative at the moment. The only record he considered remotely interesting is probably the Outkast album Speaker Box and Love Below, which I really like it too. You know, that was a good album. Anyways, the track list is Right Now, Break Some Off, Counting On Me, Here It Comes Again, Deep Inside, Did My Time, Everything I've Known, Play Me, which featured Nas, Alive, Let's Do This Now, I'm Done, Y'all Want a Single, When Will This End, with a hidden track of one from Metallica. For a total length of 56 minutes and 43 seconds. The album continued Korn's lower sales, debuting at number 19 and peaking at number 9 on the billboards, selling 179,000 copies in the first week. But it ended up going platinum over time. The track Did My Time was previously released for the film Laura Croft Tomb Raider The Cradle of Life. The album received mixed reviews from professional critics, but acclaimed by fans. Korn released their greatest hits album, Mid Tour, on October 5, 2004. It was called Greatest Hits Volume 1. The album debuted at number 4 on the Billboard, selling more than 129,000 copies in the first week. This album assembles choice tracks from six Korn studio albums released between 1994 and 2003. The first single was a cover of the song Word Up, originally composed by Cameo, which is, you know, a funk song, actually, and I really like that song, too. The music video was humorous as well. Head went into rehab in early 2005, then Head announced that he would be quitting the band. In front of a crowd of 10,000 in three services at Valley Bible Fellowship in Bakersfield, California. Head said, and I quote, I was addicted to methamphetamines and tried everything, rehab, stuff on the internet, but nothing helped me kick it. I was trying on my own to quit, and I couldn't do it. I wanted to die. No one knew what I was going through. I could not quit. Church was my last shot. I would sit in church high on drugs. I would wonder why people would go up to the front after the service. But one day it was for me. I said to God, show me how to quit, which I have spoke on here about my faith in God. God can move mountains in your life if you give it all to him. That is the hard part, but once you do, the rest falls into place. Unquote. But let's move on now. So the band had lost head and was ready to make a new album, but the band's deal with Immortal and Epic ended. So Korn partnered with EMI and signed to Virgin Records. As part of this arrangement, Virgin paid Korn $25 million up front in exchange for a share in the profits of their next two studio albums. 
including tours and merchandising. Virgin also received a 30% stake in the band's licensing, ticket sales, and other revenue sources. So the band's seventh album is See You on the Other Side, released December 6th, 2005 and produced by Jonathan, Atticus Ross, and The Matrix. <laughs> Weird names. I like Atticus Ross, though. That, that's a cool name, but The Matrix? <laughs> Dude is so original. <laughs> the album was recorded in Jonathan Davis' home studio, which was used on the previous album. Jonathan stated, and I quote, We went through a lot of drama with Head leaving and getting off our label and making the album by ourselves. Unquote. Regarding Head's departure, Monkey recalled, and I quote, There was kind of a moment where we didn't know what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. We kind of decided, okay, we can just sit back and we can just put out a Greatest Hits album and end this, or we can use this opportunity and instead of looking at it as a loss, reinvent what we do. Unquote. The album shows Korn sticking with their typical new metal style, but also combining elements of genres such as industrial, gothic rock, new wave, electronic, and electronica, and funk. This was actually my first Korn album I bought. The track list is Twisted Transistor, Politics, Hypocrites, Souvenir, Ten or a Two-Way, Throw Me Away, Love Song, Open Up, Coming Undone, Getting Off, Liar, For No One, Seen It All, and Tearjerker, for a total length of 61 minutes and 1 second. The album sold more than 220,000 copies in the first week, and debuting and peaking at number 3 on the billboards, the album managed to stay in the top half of the charts for 34 consecutive weeks and it had sold 1.2 million copies in the United States, making it go platinum. The critics appreciated the band's desire to experiment and noted that the album blended well with their signature sound. I personally love the music video to Twisted Transistor. The music video was directed by Dave Mayers and it had hip-hop artists Exhibit, Little John, Snoop Dogg, and David Banner portraying the band Korn. It was quite funny to see them as metal artists instead of their hip-hop style. I believe Little John has a future in it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like literally, just can you imagine Little John going up there singing metal? That would be awesome. I would, I would pay to go see that man do that. <laughs> Korn held a press conference at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery on January 13, 2006 and announcing the See You on the Other Side tour. Ten Years and Mudvayne were selected to open all dates of the tour, which kicked off in their hometown of Bakersfield on what Bakersfield Mayor Harvey Hall officially declared as Corn Day. And if you don't know what Corn Day was, it was on February 24th. They then resurrected their Family Values Tour and announced it was on April 18th, 2006, which featured Deftones, Stone Sour, Flyleaf, and the Japanese metal group Deer in Grey on the main stage. 
Corn and Evidence co-headlined the 2007 edition with Atreyu, Flyleaf, Helia, and Trivium, rounding out the main stage. While touring in Europe, Jonathan Davis was diagnosed with a word I really can't say. It's like three words here, but I'm going to go give it the old college try. Idiopathic thyromethicopectinic peruba. <laughs> yeah, none of that was there, but yeah. You can probably Google this. Either way, I'll explain what it means, okay? So, like I said, I can't say it. But anyways, it is a blood platelet disorder that hospitalized him for the weekend and prevented him from performing at Download Fest. Despite the illness, the band still performed with guest singers including Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour, Trivium's Matt Heffy, and Avenged Sevenfold's M. Shadows. This led to Korn canceling the rest of their European tour for 2006 including the Hellfest Summer Open Air Festival. It was not known to the public on why it was canceled, but Jonathan revealed in a letter to fans that he was dangerously low on blood platelets and at a high risk of death from a hemorrhage if the problem was not treated. Which is very scary. I mean, it really is scary if you're going to have a hemorrhage. But anyway, in early December of 2006, it was announced that David would be taking an indefinite hiatus from the band. Korn then performed at the MTV Studios in Times Square on December 9th, 2006 for the Unplugged series, which was broadcast on February 23rd, 2007 through MTV.com and on March 2nd, 2007, across North America, South America, European, and Asian MTV stations. Korn played a 14-song acoustic set, completed with guest appearances by The Cure and Amy Lee of Evanescence. The band went to the studio to work on their follow-up, but without David on the drums. The eighth album is actually called Untitled, released on July 31st, 2007 by Virgin and produced by Atticus Ross. This album, like I said, was the first album without David. So instead, Korn got help by Terry Bazio, Brooks Wackerman, as well as Jonathan for drumming. Also, the band recruited Zach Bard as keyboardist for this album. On May 28th, Jonathan joined Dutch radio station 3FM immediately after his performance at the Pink Top Festival. He commented on the band's upcoming album, stating it, and I quote, We had the world's greatest drummer, Terry Bazio, in, and Brooks Wackerman from Bad Religion in, and I played drums on some songs too. I'm so proud of it. We just can't wait to show people what we've done, unquote. Jonathan went on to say, and I quote again, We didn't want to label this album. It has no boundaries. It has no limits. And why not just let our fans call it whatever they want to call it, unquote. After successfully recording six tracks with Terry, 
Zach announced that Terry would not be touring with the band on the Family Values Tour in 2007. Jonathan claimed things just got weird with Terry. Monkey stated in an interview that Terry had imposed himself on the band. He mentioned that, among other things, Terry had demanded to be a full-time member of the band while receiving 25% interest. The band felt that this was offensive, therefore Korn decided to not tour with Terry. Which rightfully so. I mean, you shouldn't force your way into anything. It just doesn't work that way. Joey Jorison of Slipknot would tour with Korn on the Family Values Tour. The track list is intro, starting over, which we got a problem, evolution, hold on, kiss, do what they say, ever be, love and luxury, innocent bystander, killing, hushabye, and I will protect you. For a total length of 48 minutes and 47 seconds. The album debuted at number two on the billboards and the highest since Untouchable. The untitled album sold 123,000 copies in the first week. It also fell off the charts within 12 weeks, accumulating 20 weeks altogether. The album did go gold. The album got mixed reviews. Some critics said it was a good album, saying it was cohesive and the best album since Issues while others said they hit their middle-aged slump and it was a wounded album. While on tour, the band found a permanent replacement for David. They recruited Ray and have not looked back since. The band recruited him and then did a 10-month hiatus. <laughs> I bet Ray was like really confused. He's like, so I'm in the band, but now we're taking a hiatus. I don't understand this. <laughs> The group focused on side projects during this time. When getting back into the studio for the recording of the band's ninth album, they ended their days with Virgin Records and signed with Roadrunner. Korn again hired Ross Robinson. This was Ray's first appearance on a Korn album. The album is called Korn the Third. Remember Who You Are, released July 13th, 2010 by Roadrunner and produced by Ross, like I said earlier. In the early stages of production, Ray, Fieldy, and Monkey wrote material for the album in Fieldy's garage. During this time, Jonathan did not want to hear the band's new material, stating that he would work on lyrics after the music was recorded. The band had written about 15 to 16 tracks of original material. After the band's escape from the studio tour in late 2009, the band returned to the studio with Robinson to begin recording. While the band's previous album had been more experimental and contained keyboards performed by touring member Zach Bard to give their music more atmosphere, the album was recorded as a four-piece band with guitars and lap steel. Jonathan stated in 2017 that he feels this album was the band's biggest mistake. Now, Jonathan said, and I quote, I think it would have been a much better album if Ross hadn't been so effing hard and let us just have a bit of fun. 
there was a song I wrote about my wife when when she was having problems with pill addiction. Ross called her in without me knowing and asked her to show up to the studio and I had to sing that part to her. He pushes your buttons on purpose to get all kinds of performances. He wants you to get so effing mad. The emotions just come pouring out. Which is very horrible of someone to do. I mean, I get that you want the emotions, but the person can just think about the emotions and do it, not sit there and treat somebody like that. I would lose all respect for him if someone would try to start a fight between my wife and I. Robinson later expressed regret over his treatment to Jonathan during the recording of Corn 3, stating that he pushed too hard and it was the opposite effect. The track list is Uber Time, Oildale, Pop Appeal, Fear is a Place to Live, Move On, Lead the Parade, Let the Guilt Go, The Past, Never Around, Are You Ready to Live, and Holding All These Lies for a total length of 44 minutes and 37 seconds. The album peaked at number two on the billboards, but it did not go gold or platinum, and critics just did not like this album, just like Jonathan Davis. They toured and did festivals over the next year and jumped back into the studio. They wanted to make an album that the fans would like. Jonathan stated, and I quote, I want to trailblaze. I want to change things. I want to do things we're not supposed to do. I want to create art that's different and not conformed to what's going on. We didn't make a dubstep album. We made a corn album. Unquote. So the album he's referring to is their 10th album called The Path of Totality, released on December 6, 2011 by Roadrunner and produced by Jonathan himself, as well as Skrillex, Nausea, Excision, Downlink, 12th Planet, Flinch, Feed Me, Kill the Noise, Dasik, and John... Monty. Okay, my mind is just like, what the heck, man? What the heck with all those names? Those names are as bad as Danger Mouse. (laughs) Those are some stupid, stupid names. Like, (laughs) I can't even. I can't even. I can't even start. Like, that's sick. You're stupid. Is D A T S I K. Like, really? Like, who comes up with these names? Like, just what the crap? Oh, I can't even. Sorry if I offended any of you, but dang. What kind of names are these? Just seriously. Wow. Anyways, let's move on here. The band recorded The Path of Totality with electronic producers back in Jonathan's home studio in Bakersfield during inspired sessions. It was revealed by Jonathan that vocals were actually tracked in the singer's home theater or in closets and hotels everywhere. As you can tell, the style of music 
is a fusion of their traditional sound with dubstep and drum and bass. To be honest, up until a few years ago, I had a shirt of this album, but I found it at a local gas station. So, oh well. <laughs> the track list, and uh, I won't name these off, and I will say who, who who's with them with their little dubstep thing. The track list is Chaos Lives Everywhere with Skrillex, Kill Mercy Within, Nausea, My Wall, Excision, Narcissistic Cannibal, Skrillex and Kill the Noise, Illuminati, Excision and Downlink, Burn the Obedient, Nausea, Sanctuary, Downlink, Let's Go, Nausea, Get Up with Skrillex, Way Too Far, 12th Planet and Finch, and Bleeding Out with Feed Me. For a total length of 37 minutes and 45 seconds, the album sold 55,000 copies in the first week to debut at number 10 on the billboards, making it Korn's 11th album to peak within the top 10. The album received positive reviews. Uh, Rock Sound gave the album 8 out of a 10, saying that it may not be perfect, but Korn has thrown caution to the wind and set out an impressive template for the future sound. For a band to do that nearly 20 years into their career, they deserve your respect. But the critic does go on to say that the album sounds a little formula, if you know what I mean, like everything went into a certain formulatic type deal at times. Henry Northmore from the list gave the album a 4 out of 5, saying that the purists, both metal and dubstep, would probably hate it. But if you are willing to have your brain assaulted from every direction by a new Frankenstein metal beat hybrid, you will find this album packed with pure adrenaline. All Music gave it a 4 out of 5, saying that Despite all the electronics, there is no mistaking that this Korn album is one of their better ones to boot. After doing festival appearances, Korn promoted the album during a headlining tour of the same name. So, you know, the tour called The Path of Totality. Korn split their show into three sections. The band kicked off by playing tracks from their first two albums. They followed with a different stage setup, playing several of their new songs. The set list ended with hit singles and an encore. The Path of Totality won Album of the Year at the 2012 Revolver Golden Gods Awards. This was Korn's first victory at a Golden Gods Awards, a ceremony that celebrates the best in hard rock and heavy metal music. Korn was also inducted into the Kerrang! Hall of Fame during the 2011 Kerrang! Awards. On May 5, 2012, guitarist Head joined Korn on stage at the Caroline Rebellion Festival to play Blind for the first time since his departure. Head's appearance was a spur-in-the-moment decision. He initially visited the festival because of his daughter, who was a fan of some of the bands that were performing. 
he joined Red on stage for a song and would eventually be persuaded to join his old bandmates in Corn for a greet and meet. Upon Corn preparing for the show, the guitar tech prepared an extra guitar and amplifier for Head just in case. On July 18, 2012, Jonathan told Billboards.com that Corn was getting ready to start recording their 11th album and it will not be with a label. It was also announced that their next album would not contain any dubstep influence like The Path of Totality. In November of 2012, Mudvayne bassist Ryan Mortini, that's a weird name to say, toured with Korn as a temporary replacement for Fieldy while he stayed at home during his wife's pregnancy. That month also saw the confirmation of Head's return to the band. His comeback was initially thought to be temporary as he was only scheduled for two shows in June of 2013 at Rock Am King and Rock I'm Park. But Ray announced that Head would be working the whole tour. The BK Entertainment Group updated their client list on February 12th and said that Korn had signed their management independent label, which is Prospect Park Productions. On June 1st, Caroline Records added Korn to their roster, confirming that the band had signed a contract with the label. They are partnered with Korn's management, Prospect Park. On February 18th, 2013, Korn posted a photo showing Head as part of the lineup, which escalated rumors that he was in the process of rejoining Korn permanently. This was confirmed by Head himself in May, when it was also confirmed that he had been recording as part of the band for the upcoming album. So enough talk about the background here, and let's talk about the 11th album, The Paradigm Shift. Released on October 7, 2013 by Prospect Park, Caroline, and Universal Records and produced by Don Gilmore. Jonathan said they started writing in August and he didn't get into the studio until March because he was going through all kinds of crazy stuff. But he come off medication for his depression and that really messed him up. Jonathan entered rehab, then returned to writing the album. He said it was weird. He moved into the studio and stayed there for four months, only going home on the weekends. He even moved his boys in with him, so he had his kids there with him the whole time. The track list is Pray For Me, Love and Meth, What We Do, Spike In My Veins, Mass Hysteria, Paranoid and Arouse, Never Never, Punishment Time, Lullaby for the Saddest, Victimize, and It's All Wrong for a total length of 42 minutes and 54 seconds. The album sold 46,000 copies in the first week and debuted and peaked at number 8 on the billboards. Max Barrett of Rock Sound wrote that the album was a completely different monster to its predecessor and for all the right reasons. Kerrang note that the album was more organic, and all music stated that the album shows the kind of creativity and inventness that helped to make them 
and influential force in the heavy music. The band brought back their Family Values Tour as a one-day festival on October 5, 2013. The band performed the entirety of their self-titled debut album on several occasions during 2015. Well, the band decided to go ahead and do the 12th album. Head described the music on the new album as heavier than anyone's heard us in a long time. Their 12th album is The Serenity of Suffering, released on October 21st, 2016 by Roadrunner and produced by Nick Weirdname. I'm not even going to try to say it this time. (laughs) It's just Nick Weirdname, guys. This was the first album to feature some significant contributions from Head since he rejoined the band in 2013. There really isn't much about the production of the album, but the track list is insane, rotting in vain, black is the soul, the hating, here's the hottest pot. (laughs) Sorry, that's the waiting from Tom Petty, my bad. The hating, a different world, which featured Corey Taylor, take me, everything's falling apart, die yet another night, when you're not there, next in line, and please come from, all right, and please come for me. For a total length of 40 minutes and 36 seconds, the album debuted at number four on the billboards with 57,000 copies sold in the first week. All Music wrote, without pandering to career peak nostalgia, Korn definitely executed all the hallmarks that have come to define their sound, calling it one of the best albums. Metal Hammer wrote, The Serenity of Suffering is like a selection box of Korn's defining moments. Well, during this time, Jonathan filed divorce from his wife in October of 2016, citing irreconcilable differences. In 2018, a domestic violence restraining order was issued blocking any child custody or visitation from his wife Devin, whom Jonathan alleged was deep into drugs. Devin Davis died on August 17, 2018, at the age of 39 of combined drug intoxication from heroin and various prescription drugs. To reel back a little bit, on May 15, 2018, Korn announced the dates of special shows in order to mark their 20th anniversary of their album Follow the Leader. In order to mark the album's 20th anniversary, the band also partnered with the clothing company Pleasures to release clothing merchandise dedicated to the album. By August of that year, Korn went back into the studio to make their 13th album called The Nothing, released on September 13, 2019 by Roadrunner and produced by Nick Weirdname. Again. <laughs> Such a weird name, guys. Like, literally, you guys can probably go look it up and maybe pronounce it me. I'm just a southern boy that can't say it. <laughs> According to Jonathan, the title of the album was inspired by a villain from The NeverEnding Story. This is the first album recorded after the death of Davis's wife, Devin, which 
is reflected in the lyrics of some songs. This affected Jonathan during the recording of the album, which he treated it as a form of personal therapy. Some of his emotional breakdowns were recorded and ended up on the album, most notably towards the end of the intro. The track list is The End Begins, Cold, You'll Never Find Me, The Darkness Is Revealing, Idiocracy, The Seduction of Indulgence, Finally Free, Can You Hear Me, The Ringmaster, Gravity of Discomfort, Harder, This Loss, and Surrender to Failure. For a total length of 44 minutes and 20 seconds, the album debuted at number 8 on the billboards. AllMusic gave the album positive reviews, saying over-atmospheric 9-inch nails-like piano and towering drums, he exposes his guilt-stricken soul in a final confessional. As the swell fades away, he weeps, I failed, I failed. It's one of the saddest moments in their catalog, a low point that ironically elevates this album to one of their strongest statements. Korn has always excelled at pain, but with the nothing, this is the most authentic it has ever been. Which that is really, really deep in that uh, review there. And that is a really, really deep song. And now Loudwire named it one of the 50 best metal albums of 2019. On August 22nd, Korn announced their new album by playing a concert in multiplayer game Adventure Quest 3D, complete with in-game merchandise, a virtual meet and greet, and performing new songs on a digital stage. In July of 2020, Korn released a cover of The Devil Went Down to Georgia by Charlie Daniels, who had died earlier that year, which I had went to see Charlie Daniels play a live show about two weeks before he died. It's weird, you know, because like the day I went to see him was the day they were going to start shutting things down due to the pandemic. So it's just odd, you know, right after that he died. Anyways, the cover was recorded during sessions from The Nothing and featured rapper Yellow Wolf. And as I always say, well, not always, but since the band's still going, the band has been on tour ever since. And the proceeds were donated to a nonprofit organization called Awakening Youth. During an interview with Wall of Sound, Monkey spoke about COVID ruining their plans to tour The Nothing. He said, it was kind of a bummer. I gotta be honest, I was so excited with that album. We put the artwork together. We designed the stages. We got everything ready to roll out, merch and all. You know everything a band does before they go on the road to promote an album. So when the COVID was over, or at least died down, Head revealed that the band had plans for 2021, but was coy about what they were, hinting it had something to do with touring in a powerful way. On April 24, 2021, Korn released a one-off online streaming event entitled Monumental that was filmed on the top of the parking lot at the Stranger Things A Drive Into Experience set in Los Angeles. On May 12th, the band announced a 28-date summer U.S. tour with Stained as the supporting act. 
On June 21st, the band announced that Fieldy will be taking a break from the band and won't be performing with them on their upcoming tour. Raw Diaz of the Suicide Tendencies replaced Fieldy on the tour. The tour was broke up into several separate instances where members would get COVID. First, Jonathan tested positive in August, causing several dates to be postponed. Then in September, Monkey got it. And then in October, Ray had tested positive. So just, you know, kept getting postponed due to COVID. On April 23rd, the band confirmed that they had began work on the 14th album, utilizing periods of lockdown due to COVID-19 to begin writing. So the 14th album and the last one, and I have a hard time pronouncing this, so I think it's called Raccoon. Raccoon? You know, I'm Southern, so I'm just going to just throw something out there. (laughs) It was released on February 4th, 2022 by Lama Vista and produced by Chris Collier. Not much about this album, so the track list is Forgotten, Let the Dark Do the Rest, Start the Healing, Lost in the Granular, Disconnect, Hopeless and Beaten, Penance to Sorrow, My Confession, and Worst is on the Way. For a total length of 32 minutes and 36 seconds, the album debuted at number 14 on the billboards, and it is Korn's first album since 1994 to not peak in the top 10. All Music gave the album positive reviews, saying against the odds, Korn has done it again with this album, a quick and ferocious blast that finds the band still hungry and innovative nearly 30 years into the game. Wall of Sound gave the album a 7 out of 10, saying the album isn't going to end up listed among the great Korn albums, but it's short, punchy, and hooky. That's a real word. Hooky. (laughs) Well, you guys are caught up on the band known as Korn. They have influenced the metal scene in such a big way. They have had success and hardship. I remember the first time I heard them when I was riding in my brother's car in 2003. We was listening to Make Me Bad. As I researched Korn, I got great surprises and one that I personally enjoyed, and that was Head. He left the group to get clean and found Jesus during that time. Which I've said it before, I am a firm believer in God. But Head cleaned up his act for his daughter and raised her. Well, after he rejoined the band, come to find out Fieldy is a born-again Christian. Fieldy said that after his father's passing and trying to quit drugs, he found God and cleaned up too. Korn as a band, like I said, has influenced many people. They created their own sound that people still try to emulate. I always personally love the bass sound of their music. So let's list my top five albums. Coming in, number five, Issues. Number four, Follow the Leader. Number three, Life is Peachy. Number two, The Paradigm Shift. And number one is See You on the Other Side. This is my top five and my opinion. And guess what? It is what it is. So guys, this is like the end of the school year. You have made me all proud from all the things I have taught you 
and you have learned you passed all the tests I've given you. If I gave any. <laughs> like literally, we are at the end of the season. But don't worry. I'll be back for season three. I've already wrote most of the scripts out for next season. So all I gotta do is just record them. But in the meantime, I'm gonna take a break. You know, I got two. I'm gonna take a break. Enjoy the rest of my summer here with my wife and children. But you know what you can always do. You can always go over to my TikTok or Instagram at History of the Bands. You know, at History of the Bands on TikTok, you can just follow me there, watch the videos, you know, click like, share them, kind of build up things for me if you don't mind. And on Instagram, you can click that little button that says Linktree. And then you can take it over to the Linktree site and you can go get some merch. I got t-shirts there. I got a hoodie there. I got a mug there. You know, you might you might want to wear some History of the Band swag and that would be the best thing for you to do. Or you can click the BetterHelp link and get you guys some better help. So, I got nothing else I can tell you guys at the moment. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your summer. I will see you guys in the fall. So, guess what? Class dismissed. History of the Bands.